Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast series from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas. Our reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, and our preacher is Pastor Matt Metavellis. Thanks for listening. God bless you. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen in his glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have to ask a very important question before I continue this morning. How many Star Trek fans are out there? doesn't matter. You can be casual. You can tell me Captain Kirk's Starfleet Academy identification number. I don't know. Uh, okay. So we got some. All right. I have good news to make known to you. There is a new Star Trek series out on Paramount Plus. It is uh, what I call OG Star Trek. It is Strange New Worlds. It is the very early days of the Enterprise with Captain Pike, those of you who've seen the, the Menagerie and uh, other classic uh, episodes, uh, Spock is in it. But anyway, reason I share that is not only did I uh, get the privilege of being able to watch some TV this week, uh, I was a little bit captivated by the opening sequence. It was somebody talking about first contact. And as the camera panned out, you could see that it was some kind of, you know, Kennedy Space Center control room. Uh, but it was uh, being filled by these alien creatures, not sure about the strange aliens that had come in so close into their orbit. And on the screen, there was a picture of the Starship Enterprise. So it was first contact, a little switched around, where it was aliens first encountering us. Now, this phrase, first contact, uh, I think it was popularized by Star Trek. There was a above average uh, next generation movie with that title, first contact. And what that means is two civilizations which have had little or nothing to do with one another meeting for the very first time. Now, there still are civilizations here on the Earth which um, have really not mixed in <laughs> with the rest uh, of our globalized world, but we might, in the modern world, not remember very much what that feeling is like and what a uh, strange and energetic thing uh, that can happen whenever one culture meets another culture. Now, this is what we hear about in our story this morning. Paul is at a city called Athens, which is 
uh, still, uh, 2,000 years later, is a semi-important city. It's the capital of the country where half of my family hails from. Uh, but in, uh, in the time that Paul was there, it was, uh, it was still a pretty prominent place, though not politically. It was a Roman colony, but it was a place that a lot of tourists went to. See, Athens was the city of Plato, the city of Aristotle. Athens had, they didn't have like, you know, endowed universities then, what they had was a bunch of men, and sometimes women, uh, as they're discovering, who would get together at these places. Uh, you know, the Stoics were mentioned in the text. They would gather on the Stoa. The Epicureans had gardens. And uh, the philosophers would just go around and kind of talk to one another all day, uh, every day. If you've ever seen the Monty Python sketch of the uh, philosopher's soccer game? Okay, some of you have seen it, right? Where they, they drop the ball and then they're just kind of like walking around. That is a little bit what Athens would have looked like. Only imagine that on a wider scale. Now, it was a place that tourists came because a lot of the history that the Romans had imbibed, or excuse me, now I'm talking like I'm writing a paper. Uh, a lot of the history that the Romans had learned um, from their youth uh, and a lot of the literature they had read um, had come from Athens. So Athens had a place a little bit like, for those of us who speak English, right, a little bit like Oxford or Cambridge, a little bit like Stratford on the Avon, uh, a little bit like Cambridge Mass, too, right? All these universities that are in Boston. So people from all over the Roman world would flock there. Young people to get their education, to learn how to speak. People who were interested in philosophy. And into that city, which uh, never was really, uh, Paul never really expected to kind of go there. <laughs> into that city comes this good little Jewish boy, Paul. Uh, and he's there, it says, you know, he's just waiting for some other people so he can continue on to places that are more populated. And this good little Jewish boy, Paul, is in this city that is full of temples. It's full of these ideas he'd never heard of. Now, I imagine where Paul was from in Tarsus, there were some temples, but there was also a pretty sizable Jewish community. So he, or Israelite community, however you want to say it. So he probably uh, never saw on the scale of what he saw. We see some of these places today. Those of you who've been to Athens, you see the Parthenon. You know, multiply what's still in Athens today by like 10 or 100 because the city had so many visitors. And, you know, in a place, Las Vegas, we live in a city with a lot of visitors, and that means a lot of, like, fast food, that means a lot of restaurants, right? In the ancient world, if there was a place with a lot of visitors, it meant a lot of temples, because people wanted to be able to go worship their gods and make a sacrifice to their gods whenever they were traveling, uh, just to make sure they got home safely. If you think airline travel was bad, travel on the Mediterranean and... <laughs> Uh, the Romans cleaned up a lot, but uh, travel on some of those Roman roads can get wild. So uh, just think of Paul being this good uh, Jewish boy in this city. And it says that, uh, you know, uh, our translation says deeply distressed. In the Greek it says his spirit 
was in turmoil within him, right? Paul couldn't believe what a very strange and a very weird place that he had come to. Now, it's interesting what people think of Paul. Now, first, Paul spends a lot of time, it says, in the synagogue with the Jews and with the uh, this population called God-fearers. Um, in Bible study, I talk about the God-fearers a lot. When you read the Acts of the Apostles, these were people who were really attracted to Judaism, to Jewish beliefs and practices, but there was just one practice um, that uh, involves uh, some uh, cosmetic surgery uh, below the waist that they uh, struggled with uh, for a lot of them. So uh, it was kind of, you know how uh, a lot of people uh, claim to be really interested in Buddhism and they might go to a temple and practice but they uh, don't, uh, most people don't have the full pedigree of having a teacher in Asia or having a family that has been Buddhist for generations, right? But you might know a lot of neighbors that if you push them on their religion, they'll say, I'm Buddhist or I have a practice, which is really great. But that's kind of what the God fear was like. So anyway, that I, all right, I'm taking too much time. I knew this would turn into a Bible study because I love the story. <laughs> But Paul is going around, and, and the thing about Paul is that Paul doesn't care. Paul considers that the entire world has been turned upside down by, by Jesus. So his spirit being stirred within him is not being like, oh my God, look at all this paganism. The spirit being stirred within him is like, oh my gosh, I have to wake these people up. And as he, he does that, he gets called by the philosophers a, uh, a babbler is what we have in the text. But he's told that he's a... Uh, you know, they say, who's this spermologos? Now, spermologos is literally a seed learner, right? Who's this rookie? Who's this dilettante, right? Who's this, uh, who's this uh, amateur, probably? That would have been their word for amateur. Who's this amateur who's going around and talking about all this crazy stuff? And one answer is really interesting. They say he is a proclaimer of strange gods, of strange divinities. Now, in Athens, a proclaimer of strange divinities uh, had a special kind of ring to it because the guy who put uh, Athens on the map and inspired so much of the philosophical activity in Athens. It was a guy named, some of you may know it, Socrates, or as Bill and Ted called him, Socrates. <laughs> Socrates was taken to this hill called the Areopagus, quite literally uh, the hill of Mars, or uh, if some of the sources I've read said the hill of blood, because it was where the law courts were. It was Athens's version of the Supreme Court. It was also kind of where they had their equivalent to the Congress, but after Athens uh, had kind of lost a lot of its political prestige, it just kind of became a law court. But in Socrates' time, he was arrested, and his charges 
were two. One, you're corrupting the youth because you're making them ask too many questions about what we, uh, the, the, the society we live in. You're, you're teaching them critical philosophy theory. And then secondly, uh, the charge was you are teaching foreign divinities. So when they say he's a proclaimer of strange divinities, it's not necessarily a dismissal. It's a, we're interested, as they say. We haven't heard this before. This is new. This is something exciting. Why don't you come and tell us about it? So I can't figure out, I confess to you, I can't figure out if he was arrested and taken there or if they just were like, let's have a reenactment of Socrates' trial, because the people living in Athens were, you know, for lack of a better term, like nerds, right? Think of think of Paul being at Comic-Con right now. So they're like, okay, this guy's like Socrates. Let's have a reenactment. And they say, and they're all sitting around, and they're saying, okay, tell us something new, right? But Paul is too smart for that. Paul walked, has walked around and he saw this inscription that said to an unknown God. And he said, you know what? I think somebody got here before me. I think somebody has already been at work in the lives of these people. But their problem is they don't know how to describe it. They don't know who it is because they are so busy trying to figure out what it is. Don't want to take too much time. But when you hear about Stoics and Epicureans, uh, I was a philosophy major, if you can't tell, but, so I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. In a world, kind of like ours, where terrible things happen for seemingly no reason, when there's hatred and violence and disease and war, right? the whole project of Greek philosophy was trying to figure out something that you could hang on to. So, in the midst of all the chaos and upheaval that destroyed, really, the Greek system of city-states, there were two proposals that came out. One, everything is just fate. Your neighbors might still talk like this. The universe. The universe wanted me to do this. Right? The universe, I was uh, at about 8.45, and I came at 8.40, so Richard, this is not on you, right? Uh, at like 8.45, I'm like, we have a musician today, right? And, uh, and, and uh, you know, Stacy and Mary were like, yeah, I, I, we, we are supposed to. And then I looked at the door, and there's Richard, and I, my thought was, the universe summoned him. It was fate. He came right at 8.45. So, right, you have neighbors that talk like this, right? I'm going to put this out in the universe. I'm going to put this out in the universe, and hopefully there's some plan that will make this happen, right? But then there were the Epicureans who noticed they lived in a garden because they said everything is just chance. Everything is random. There are a bunch of Epicureans.
Epicureans a block away at all of those big buildings on the street going, it's almost time, it's chance, right? The Epicureans were the uh, philosophers who invented, not invented, but first theorized the concept of atoms. Stuff just kind of bumps around in a void, and sometimes the combinations are good, and sometimes the combinations are bad, but you just got to roll with it, man. Right? This is the, 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 the best and brightest of thinking in the ancient world about how to get along in the universe. They're going, what is it? Right? Is it fate? Is it chance? Do you just have to get along with the universe and just do whatever? Or do you just have to, you know, hope that you'll get lucky? Right? Is it fate? Is it chance? And Paul goes, your problem is you're thinking about what? Let me tell you about who? Let me tell you about this unknown God. Let me tell you about this God who doesn't hide up on Mount Olympus or live in a forest glade somewhere or live in one of these temples that you guys made. Let me tell you about a God who the whole world is his temple. Let me tell you about a God who made heaven and who made earth and who gave you, right? Just if we, uh, the, the doctrine of grace, grace is in there in the very nature of who God is. God gives you everything. Your own poets have said it, right? Paul knows how to quote this. I found where he actually quoted it from. It, uh, it's, from a, it's from a poem about these people that made a tomb for Zeus. And this poet wrote, but you're not dead. You live and abide forever. For in you we live and move and have our being. And Paul quotes that back to you. He said, you guys have stumbled upon this. There is an intelligence there is a compassion. There is a creator. There is one who created the whole world and put you in it. And by the way, made us all from one ancestor. That verse was a battle cry in the abolition movement. It may continue to be a battle cry today. From one ancestor made us all a people. Right? You guys are wasting your time thinking about what? Let me tell you about who. The one that you've been hoping for, the one that you've been needing, the one you've been groping for, that one is here. And Paul realized that that God, who had been raised from the dead, got there first. God showed up before Paul got there in this hope that those people had to find some stability, to find something to stand up, to find something to fear, love, and to trust that God had gotten there first. It's almost like the first episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, where the plot line is. They have a crew member who went to do some investigative work to make first contact with that civilization and gets lost. And of course, uh, knowing that I was preaching this, I watched that episode and went, oh my gosh, this is evangelism. Jesus moves so much faster than us Jesus goes ahead of us, but then Jesus gets lost. Not because there's any problem with Jesus, but because our neighbors are trapped in this way of thinking, which is looking for some advantage in either fate or chance. Jesus is lost, and our job is to go, there he is. He's with you. He's been raised for the dead. That's who it is. That's who loves you. That person loves me and loves you, and you know what? I love you too. And if you don't throw that last part in, you're not really doing evangelism, right? Uh, you can't really say, you know, uh, God loves you, you know what's, right? You have, to, you have to say, I love you too. So.
So this is the way that we're called as Christians to look in the world, to look for those places where people are looking for God but are confused and lost, or maybe uh, they've heard of Jesus, but they think it's just a fiction or a fantasy or a, a, you know, some idea that uh, you know, has outlived its time. Job is to say, there he is. He got here before me. You know, Pastor Jason and I often are in places where we have to go out into the community um, and give invitations. I do it all the time for hospice. Um, I do it all the time at events for uh, either people who are grieving. Um, I have uh, I've done uh, grand rounds at the VA hospital <laughs> talking about uh, spiritual care. Uh, Pastor Jason does invitations uh, at City Council. Um, all the time, and, and usually what I've found, and I know what Pastor Jason has found, that the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus is already there. And Pastor Jason has always joked with me, like, yeah, I go in there and do these indications with some of these guys, you know, they go full Billy Graham in that room. And this is, this is the point of what Paul is teaching us today. You don't have to. Just tell them what they're looking for. Because what they're looking for is Jesus. Because we get caught up. We think that our job as Christians is to find some final frontier that God hasn't gotten to yet and to tell them about God. What Paul learned was that God is already there. And our job is not to go and look for that new frontier. But our job is to go tell people about new life and a new civilization known as the kingdom of God. So go from here in power. Amen. Amen. Amen.